coming up on The Exam Room. We drop down the bunny hole, I guess you can say, into this whole field of plant-based nutrition. Around that same time, I started reading a lot of books. One of those books that came into my understanding and realm of consciousness was Dr. Neil Barnard's book on reversing diabetes. So of course, the title itself, Dr. Neil Barnard's program to reverse type 2 diabetes, of course, I am attracted to this and I read the book and I go through a whole range of emotions reading this book because you know, it was like, oh, this is how to avoid the pain and suffering my grandma went through, right? Because mm-hmm. we all have to die, mm-hmm. but to suffer, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to go through that, you know? No. And so I was like, great. But then secondly, you know, I just was really angry. Like I was upset and angry when I found out my grandma was going to pass. But this time it was like, how come the nurses and the dietitians and the doctors did not tell us this? Where's the informed consent? Why did we not have the option? That I learned in his book that the food that we was uh, given grandma was just to make sure her medicine worked to keep her insulin, her sugar regulated. Yeah. It allowed for that to function at, you know, whatever it's supposed to function at. But you can actually reverse type 2 diabetes. You, actually, you can reverse it in two weeks. That's what I was learning from his book. Wow. If we had known this from the beginning, she was sick with type 2 diabetes for years. Yeah. You know? So anyway, that awakening happened in 2008. I was vegetarian for two weeks, became vegan. You know, it was not a hard sell for me after witnessing what I witnessed. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Topeka, Kansas, Concord, North Carolina, and Cologne, Germany. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 70 of season six, number 466 overall. We hear oftentimes people talk about eating a raw diet, but what about taking it a step further? How about a raw vegan diet? And how does one cook on a raw vegan diet? Anyway, we're gonna put cook in quotation marks. So before we get to the story today, There's a few ways that you can actually cook on a raw vegan diet. Juicing, blending, soaking, dehydrating, germinating, or sprouting. And that last one is how a lot of people actually keep whole grains on the menu if they're switching over to being a raw vegan. So you definitely get a thumbs up for things like quinoa, buckwheat, wild rice, if if they happen to be sprouted or germinated. That's how you do it. So why? raw, though. Well, there is a big upside in particular for weight loss. One study looking at people for close to four years found that participants lost an average of between 22 and 27 pounds. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all, especially since any step toward curbing obesity is a big thing because obesity increases the risk of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. All things that you much rather would not have. There's no doubt about it. But 
then also about that raw vegan diet, is it too effective? Well, maybe that all depends on how heavy you were when you started out, because the same study finds that as many as a quarter of participants also became underweight. So we can save that debate for a future episode. But today, I want to focus on a positive experience, certainly a very positive one. Today is all about one family's story. It's a mother and a daughter who lost a loved one to a preventative disease and how it led to an epiphany for the daughter and subsequently then the mother as well. Samantha Salmon is that daughter's name. She is now the founder of the rawfoodmealplanner.com website and for a time operated a raw vegan restaurant in the Chicago area. It's definitely going to be a heartbreaking story as you'll hear, but despite their tragic loss, it has a happy ending because Samantha is focusing her time, her effort, and her unmatched energy into helping others so that they may never feel that same deep sting that her family did. And it is indeed a fantastic family that I am honored to introduce you to today. So we recorded this incredible episode in New York just a couple of hours before our live show with Drs. Neil Barnard and Rob Osfeld and Michelle McMacken, as well as Rip Esselstyn, our live and in-person celebration. And if you want to check that out, the audio from that is on our previous episode, one episode back, so check that out. But right now, let's hear both a heartbreaking and heartwarming story rolled into one and learn a little bit about being raw vegan. It is so great to have you both here on the show. Thanks for making the time. Thank you for having us. Likewise, thank you for having me. And you, who is a New York native, you were not in New York um, until recently. You actually flew all the way back from Europe to be here today, correct? Yeah, yeah, I came from Poland. Poland? Yes. My goodness gracious. (laughs) And uh, thank you for the kielbasa recipe, by the way. Yeah, of course. But I want to talk about your story, Samantha, first, before we get into the benefits of eating raw. Because like so many guests who have come on the show for us previously, your story is very inspiring and it is driven by love. It is driven by passion. It is driven by a desire to start planting seeds for a healthier family tree moving forward. Growing up in Queens, which you did here in New York, um, your family's diet wasn't always the healthiest, was it? No. So my family, I'm first generation Jamaican American. My family's from Jamaica. And I grew up in a home with uh, both my parents, my mom and dad, and my grandma, right? Um, my brother is 11 years older than me. So most of my like memory of my childhood upbringing, he wasn't really home. So it was pretty much just the four of us. And, um, you know, I was, as I was sharing with you before, I remember when my grandma got diagnosed with type two diabetes because the whole house went on a diet change, right? So my, my mom, she's the one that went with her to sit with the doctor and the dietitian and learned all the foods that she could eat and couldn't eat now that she had type two diabetes. Um, and I was pretty much like a nurse for her, like that that the start of that, I believe, was like what we would consider middle school and then through high school. 
Um, and unfortunately, you know, my grandma, her type 2 diabetes progressed from where she had to test her fingers every single day, right? Test her blood. Back in those days, you actually had to prick the finger. I know the technology has advanced somewhat now, so not everyone has to do that, which, you know, God bless technology, (laughs) right? Uh, But she had to prick her finger every day. Um, But then the diabetes escalated to where she needed to get insulin shots in her belly, and they were long needles. I have a phobia of needles, and I have a phobia of blood. Even though I, I care about nutrition and health, I would never work in the hospital setting because of this. But um and also, like my mom can share, when she had type 2 diabetes, uh, she was taking about 17 pills, right? For all, she had type 2 diabetes, but all the comorbidities, um, all the co-conditions with that, hypertension, thyroid issues, you know, all sorts of things, you know? And the two of you, you were very close with your with your grandmother, I was weren't you? very close. I remember like we're in, in Manhattan right now. I remember when 9-11 happened. And I had to go home from school early because it happened at like nine something in the morning. I was in my first class, uh, sophomore year of high school. I ran home to her, to grandma. You know, grandma was always home. She was a constant for me. And, um, you know, I'm going to apologize from now just in case I get a little emotional. It's okay. Because, because. It's okay. It's okay. A lot of us are really close with our grandma. She was, she was an amazing person. But anyway, her, her sickness got to the point where she had to get the insulin injections every day in her stomach. Um, and then I remember one day I noticed her big toe had turned black. And this is the worst thing anybody with anyone with a loved one who has diabetes wants to see because typically that means amputation. But we didn't even get to amputation um, because within two weeks, you know, my grandma was home on hospice care, you know, basically sentenced to die. You know, the at her age, I can't remember. I think she was like in her early 80s, 85, 84, 84. And so I guess, and my mom could tell you more about that. That's why I thought it was important for her to be here because I only know from my perspective as the granddaughter who made sure I was home to make sure she had her pills on time because she had to eat them with meals, you know, take the pills with meals. So there were certain events as a young person I couldn't go to because I had to be there with grandma to make sure that she was okay. Um, And I was really diligent about that. So when this happened, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was a very traumatic time for me because not only did everything happen so fast, it was like her tur- her toe turned black and then all of a sudden she's home on hospice and she's going to go. And we all know she's going to go, but she was in so much pain. Like she was on hospice in our living room on a gurney, crying out in pain that the catheter was burning her. And I remember this time like it was yesterday because... I was home from school during, it was like uh, midterm. So we're coming up close to Thanksgiving time. And her birthday is Christmas Day, right? So everybody's there at the house, you know, just trying to keep her as comfortable as possible. But yeah, it was 
it was tough to see someone that I love so much go through so much pain. And then also all the work that went in to keep her. Um, it like was like, how does this end like this? You know? I'm watching you tell this story some, you know, years later. But as you're going through this, I mean, you were so young in your life. And that's a difficult time as it is. And then here's this person who is ultra close and holds such a prominent space in your heart. You're watching them erode in front of your very eyes. How did you deal with that at such a young age? That, to me, makes you a hero alone. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, so when she passed, that was uh, my first semester at college. So I, I was at NYU at the time. So technically an adult, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, NYU was my dream school. I remember when I got in, I got in on early decision. She was the first person I went to with that envelope to celebrate that I got in. So I really thought she would see me walk, you know, with my, get my diploma and everything, but... <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to be kind like this after so long, but, you know, the learning lesson in the whole thing, even at that time, was that food is not worth it. At the time, I had no idea about Dr. Neil Barnard. I had no idea about Physicians Committee or even... We knew about, because like I said, my family is from Jamaica. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in Jamaica, we have Rastas. They eat an ITEL diet. But in our house, we we ate everything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Even, like, when my cousin, you know, he was more on, like, the pescatarian thing. And I remember I used to make fun of him all the time. Like, if it don't have chicken, it's not a meal. I used to say that to him. You know, and this was while grandma was sick. We didn't know any better. We thought we knew what we were doing because that was what the ADA, American Diabetes Association, was telling us was going to be good for her, you know? Yeah. And we just heard that from Samantha's perspective. That's her grandmother. But for you, like that's that's your mom. I can't imagine, even though you were an adult at that point. I, I don't consider anybody who's still in college yet at that <laughs> young age to be a full-fledged adult, even though, yes, technically you are. That's still a tender age. You were an adult. You had your own family at that point. I still cannot imagine that that was easy for you to witness either. It was very hard. As a business person, because by profession, I'm a beautician. Um, I had my own business at the time, working sometimes 16 hours a day. Some evening I go to classes because I was doing a Bible study class. And I remember I have to run home sometimes and make sure that everything was okay with her. She had to get her snack because, you know, with about uh, diabetic people, they have to eat by a certain time and they have to have snack in the evening. And I would go home and she would feel guilty. And she would say to me, no, go to your class. You know, I'll have it when you get back. When I get back home, it's 11 p.m. at night. Mm. That's too late for her. Mm. So, yes, I went through a lot. Mm. It was not easy. All doctors visit everything. I take her myself. She have aid come to take care of her. I prepare all her meals. Because when she first got sick, I had to go to a nutrition class. So I thought, okay, this is great. Yeah. Going to a nutrition class, then they're going to teach me how she should eat. 
that wasn't the case. Mm. Not until she came in the picture to tell me what proper eating was all about. It was the American diet nutrition class. Right. Chicken breast, turkey breast. Give her white meat, not too much red, but she can still have meat. She can have this, she can have that. She can have milk, she can have coffee, she can have everything that she was eating that she shouldn't have been eating. Mm. Even as a diabetic, Mm. there's a lot of things she shouldn't have been eating. But I went by their rules and their regulation Mm -hmm. and the medication that they give me to give her. Right. Which was not very um, good. Because what happened, I took her from the hospital to to a doctor that I know. The doctor took off I took her from some of the medication, but that's this still didn't help. It right. was just as bad. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, I know that a lot of people who have diabetes over time kind of figure out a way to, as I like to put it, game the system and figure out how to reincorporate some of their favorite indulgences. Um, was she kind of smart like that and was able to figure out how to sneak in maybe a cookie here, oh, a cookie yes, there. Oh, she does. <laughs> <laughs> and not just she, family member too. Yeah. I remember time walking up the stairs and my mom have her hands behind her back and her mouth is going to say, Mom, what are you eating? And she wouldn't tell me and I get close. I say, Mom, what are you eating? Oh, Molly brought me a good, good bar, chocolate bar. Mr. Goodbar, mm. those things are so, she's not supposed to have it, mm. but what, yeah. can, I, what yeah. can I tell you? What, what are you going to do? I they mean, do she, it because they think they love her, but deep down it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly that was not on the ADA approved list, no. but I noticed, uh, Samantha, that a lot of the foods that were on that list, um, you know, not exactly high in carbs, but you... Um, have transitioned over to eating a raw diet and now you promote that. You're on a mission to eradicate type 2 diabetes, a very personal mission. Um, I would think that it is next to impossible to eat a raw diet and um, without eating carbs. So when did it first pop onto your radar that, well, maybe kind of the dietary advice we were given there isn't exactly all that you hoped it would be? Yeah. So that she passed away uh, 2014. I graduated school. 20, 2014. Yeah, 2014 okay. I graduated school 2018, got married, moved no, to California. Can I say something? Excuse me. It's it too, too she passed away. I'm sorry. 2004. Yeah. I'm trying to make myself younger than I am. (laughs) 2004, man, the time flies. Yeah, so 2004, uh, my first year of college, she passed away. 2008, I got married, moved to the Bay Area. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm newly married with my husband, you know, trying to do the wifey thing and make a meal for him. And there was a meal my mom used to make that I really love, honey glazed chicken. And so I decided to make him this dish, right? I even called my mom, got the ingredients and the 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 instruction on how to make this, the dish. And I turn around to serve him. I'm like, honey, dinner's ready, you know? And he's like, I... I'm not eating meat anymore. I'm vegan. I'm like, what are you talking about? Wait, your you... husband dropped that one yeah. on you? Oh, so like, I thought you, you were the instigator here. I'm like, no, be vegan tomorrow. I just slammed <laughs> over this dish. <laughs> and that's when he like, he he brought me over because we were in a really small apartment in the Bay Area. 
and uh, showed me some YouTube videos. And I wish, had I known then that I would be here now and even talking about this now, I would have, you know, made note of this guy. But I, I do remember that he was um, some kind of, uh, like, scientist professor or something. Because part of it's it's a YouTube video of him talking about the difference between a carnivore and human beings. And like, you know, our intestines are long carnivores. They have short intestines. So the food goes in and comes out. And, you know, just going down all the line, like our teeth, all this stuff. And what he was saying made sense. And that kind of started the, you know, we, we dropped down the bunny hole, I guess you can say, into this whole field of plant-based nutrition. Around that same time, I started reading a lot of books. One of those books that came into my understanding and realm of consciousness was Dr. Neil Barnard's book on reversing diabetes. So of course, the title itself, Dr. Neil Barnard's program to reverse type 2 diabetes, of course, I am attracted to this and I read the book and I go through a whole range of emotions reading this book because you know, it was like, oh, this is how to avoid the pain and suffering my grandma went through, right? Because mm-hmm. we all have to die. Mm-hmm. But to suffer, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to go through that, you know? No. And so I was like, great. But then secondly, you know, I just was really angry. Like I was upset and angry uh, when I found out my grandma was going to pass. But this time it was like, how come the, the the nurses and the dietitians and the doctors did not tell us this? You know, where's the informed consent? Why did we not have the option? I learned in his book that the food that we was uh, given grandma was just to make sure her, her um, medicine worked to keep her insulin, her sugar regulated. Yeah. It allowed for that to function at, you know, whatever it's supposed to function at. But you can actually reverse type 2 diabetes. You Actually, you can reverse it in two weeks. That's what I was learning from his book. Wow. If we had known this from the beginning, she was sick with type 2 diabetes for years. Yeah. You know? So anyway, that awakening happened in 2008. I was vegetarian for two weeks, became vegan. You know, it was not a hard sell for me after witnessing what I witnessed. I want to talk a little bit more about those emotions because you're talking about diabetes here. We're talking about diabetes today, but like knowing what I know now and thinking about my own grandma who I lost when I was in middle school and to this day was the single biggest influence I've ever had uh, in my life. She died uh, of a stroke, completely 100% preventable. Didn't realize that at the time, just as like, well, grandma was in her 60s and that's just kind of the way things go. Knowing it now, even 20 years later, as I began to learn, I got angry, like legitimately angry. Like, why didn't we know this? Why couldn't we have done something about that? And then to hear you say, well, we could have, you know, reversed diabetes in two weeks. Like for me, and I'm not trying to pick a scab on an old wound, but I would even think back to the time when she comes home from hospice care and the officials and the doctors on the show who have said, look, as long as you're drawing a breath, it's never too late. Like that's a heavy, heavy thought to carry with you, isn't it? That's a heavy thought. I love that you said that just now 
and that people will hear that because in my community, people feel like it is too late. People feel like they're too far gone because they've reached a certain age because, you know, certain things happen. Even within my family, people are are suffering in my family, mm-hmm. which is why this thing um, is really, I feel a sense of urgency with this, you know? to make sure that everyone at least has the information. And it's important for the doctors to share that information. Informed consent is so important because this is the their first line. Folks are out here just trying to survive, you know, pay their bills, take care of their families. They're not spending all this time reading all the books and going to, and most of them aren't even reading books. To mm. be honest, they're not going to the library to pick up these books. They're not looking for it. Right. It's not in their consciousness that this is even a possibility, right? They're just getting sick. They're ending up at the doctor and things are escalating very quickly, you know? So just having that messaging, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. You know, one one person I want that comes to mind right now that I really want to highlight is Dr. Baxter Montgomery. You know, what he's doing with folks who are basically on their, basically at death's door, and using raw foods to resuscitate them and bring them back into homeostasis, into normalcy, you know? Um, This is the power of raw foods, right? So Dr. Neil Barnard was the door on plant-based nutrition, but because I was in the Bay Area, at the same time I was learning about this, Cafe Gratitude was in its prime. You know, that was back in the day when they were just serving raw foods. And, you know, Berkeley, but all these places, you know, so in, I was developing community there as well. And so it was veganism and raw foods, you know, at the same time. So I've actually been high raw from the very beginning. Also, I didn't like vegetables when I started my journey. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a red flag right there. Yeah, it's hard to be a healthy vegan when you don't like vegetables. And right, healthy vegan, veganism was the health aspect was my door in because of everything. And so in the beginning, I gained a lot of weight. I, I, I say ballooned because that's the heaviest I had ever been, um, was 140 um, when I went vegan because I was eating a lot of bread, a lot of pasta, very little vegetables because I didn't like it. But I knew I had to get vegetables in. So I started with green smoothies, right? Just put the kale and the spinach in with some fruits. I've always loved fruits, masked it. And that's how I started, you know, and going out to eat, trying these different things and then coming home and trying things and eventually gradually getting to a space. Two and a half years later, uh, my husband and I moved to Chicago, opened a raw vegan business. We had that running for six years and then moved to LA, you know, um, where I just focused on my my coaching business, but also got into community development and food policy. We passed uh, the good food zone in Los Angeles. And, you know, just getting myself enmeshed in equitable food-oriented development because it's it's there's the personal choice, right? But we have to be aware. And the environment around us has to support these lifestyle choices, right? Mm-hmm. If you are aware, and I've met people like this in, in LA that I like, I resonate with them. They want to do raw foods, but they have to take two buses just to get produce, right? You have some grocery stores that have trash food in our communities. Mm. They're literally putting food going bad in our communities. So, you know, even if you want a salad, the salad that's available to you is wilted, is spoiled. You God know what only I'm saying? knows how long it's been there, right? Exactly. Yeah. So who's encouraged to eat healthy and who's not encouraged, right? You have 
communities that are predominantly people of color that have very little farmer's market compared to the population. And then you go to some other communities, they have like a ton of farmer's market, you know, and and grocery stores and options, you know. Mm. And um, it's a struggle on that front as well. So it's like, it's been a really interesting journey because I like I studied economics in school. So, you know, my path has been really interesting. So that's kind of where I've landed now. It's like there's the health coaching aspect, there's personal responsibility, but also the built environment needs to support us to be healthy and to thrive as a population. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk more about that it, because you know, I hear you take talk about taking two buses just to get to a place that's got quality produce yeah, and that like That's one way. I remember just having my mind blown when I was speaking with um some Native Americans and they were explaining like some of the reservations are literally the size of Rhode Island if not larger and they have two grocery stores on these entire reservations two and you have to organize bus trips wow. like a freaking Greyhound bus just to go grocery shopping. Yeah. Whereas it's so much easier to go to the convenience store right up the street where you're lucky if maybe you can get a little bit of fruit there. Mm -hmm. You're lucky if you can get maybe some baby carrots. The rest of it is nothing but processed junk food, right? The standard American diet has come to the reservation for them. And we see the effect. I mean, the diabetes rates among that population are just staggering. Absolutely staggering. And I don't think that the average person who probably is watching this can truly comprehend that. Maybe they've heard other podcasts or seen documentaries where people talk about that, but it's a completely different thing to experience it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Luckily, it's like, that's where I feel like I was really blessed um, because when I first went vegan, like I said, I was in the Bay Area. There were a lot of things at play to support me being able to be vegan for 15 years, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I I was walking distance from a Whole Foods, walking distance from a Trader Joe's, good quality produce, yeah. you know? I can't say, like, and I and my husband was on the journey with me, so I had support, you know? When in, in coaching and talking to people and meeting people, you realize why this thing is not as... Um, pervasive as it should be, mm. even though the knowledge is out there. And it's, mm. and, you know, it's really difficult out here on these streets, you know, yeah. in some of these neighborhoods, it is really not set up for people to be successful, even if they want to. Right. And we, we could do better as a, as a society in that. Now, mom, I want, I want to turn to you because uh, clearly you have raised an extraordinary daughter, but I got to go back to when she first called you up after she made that honey glazed chicken recipe and she says, mom, I'm going vegan. I got to get your reaction to that bombshell. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised because I could see her doing that. The fact that, as, as you know, and as she said, she reads a lot and reading is knowledge. And she get a lot of knowledge from reading the books that she read, as she said, mm -hmm. right? And uh, I wasn't surprised. But what what um what she said? All she said is true because she never used to like vegetables. No, she know that I used to push vegetables. Used to like well, you're I've not been leaving a, the I've table. I've been a vegetarian yeah. <laughs> before a vegetarian. Uh -huh. I am from Jamaica, and we and let me just put it out there, which because people will know this, we grew up not eating a lot of meat, although it was available to us. It was something out of 
I would say we had balanced diet. Mm -hmm. We have days when we just had things like uh, soup, kalaloo soup. We had, uh, uh, you call it spinach, we call it um, kalaloo. Steam kalaloo for breakfast with boiled banana. That's a vegetarian um, diet. We grew up with that, knowing to eat that way. We had a lot of plant-based diet. Rice was a, a, a thing that, yeah, we use rice, rice and peas on Sunday. That's when we eat rice. Mm. In the week, it's all vegetarian diet. Sundays, yes, we might have chicken. We do not eat meat in the week. And that's how we grew up. We, we grew up with a balanced diet. But my mom, when she came to this country, she adopt the, I would say, the American way of eating, that rich, rich eating. Mm. When we were in Jamaica, we didn't afford to eat meat every day or eat chicken. We, grew, we had our own chicken. Right. But we didn't afford to do that every day. You know, eat meat and chicken. Chicken is on Sundays. I think it's important to mention, too, the context. My, my mom grew up in the countryside of Jamaica, exactly. like outside of Montego Bay. So, mm -hmm. you know, my dad is from Kingston, which is very similar to New York City, mm -hmm. right? So there's a difference there. Like, you know, when we talk about incomes and accessibility, if you're, if you're raised in a place like the city, you can't grow your, or it's limited where the food that you can grow, your lifestyle and diet is going to be a lot more, uh, you know, it's going to be very different and things will be a lot more difficult compared to someone living in the country, like where... We had our own farm. You had your own yeah. farm, yeah. growing yeah. your own food, you know, mm -hmm. and all the families living around each other. So even like the butcher you're going to is a family member. You know, so it's very different. But I think that that environment, that built environment also comes up here. It's like what the lifestyle... Yeah. And now you take that fish, my grandma's a fish in new water now coming to America. Mm -hmm. What's available? What's affordable? Because I remember growing up, we used to eat cup of noodle soup. You know, the, it's the vegan. The ramen cup of noodle. The ramen yes. cup of noodles, okay. which is vegan, but very unhealthy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Too much so, soda. Yes. And hypertension is killing our community. Oh, yeah. Right. So, but that was like 99 cents back in my day because I'm old enough to remember. It was affordable. You oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much it goes for I remember now. Not the, not the cup of noodle, but they used to come in the little plastic bags and you could get like, I swear, 10 packs of those things for a mm. dollar back in the day. And I was like, man, this is paradise, yeah. right? It's like you start out and you're making nothing and that's what you can afford. So that's kind of what you ate. Um, let me ask you this. Strictly hypothetically speaking, you know, should your mother have not immigrated here to the U.S. and she would have stayed um, eating that diet that she had been eating? Do you think things would have played out differently? I wouldn't say that. I just think it's bad choices. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. Okay. No. Okay. There's okay. nothing wrong with the United States. No. I, it's, well, it's something wrong with the people. Well, the, the diet in particular. Yeah. I mean, Because she, my mom wasn't really eating a bad diet when she was home. Right. But when she came here, she saw things and it was so affordable. Right. She could afford to buy the things that she never normally, not knowing that this is the wrong path. She's, she didn't know. Right. I didn't know either. No. You know, I, I just thought, you know, this is the way, pe the way people eat. Not to Until mention. I get a better knowledge of, of what the, your diet's supposed to be like. Back in those days, we didn't even look at the ingredients. I mean, that was <laughs> not. And now that's what we spend a lot of time with. I always, when my mom was... We turn it around, what's yeah. in it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think 
I just always had the assumption before I, I went on this journey myself that if it was on a store shelf, it's got to be safe, right? Right. It went through that inspection process. So this must be okay for me. Well, I was dead wrong about that, wasn't I? You know, like another thing, my mom used to cook cereal. We cook our cereal like... She's talking about oatmeal. So yeah. Jamaicans oh, yeah. say... No, yeah, she used to yeah. cook yeah. like um, cornmeal porridge. Yeah. Banana porridge. Plantain porridge. When my mom came here, she started buying box cereal, which is filled with sugar. Tell them Which me. is something that I don't... that I don't swallow those things. Mm-mm. No. Because I learned from her. I learned what caused her to be ill, so... Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a little bit of sugar in those cereals. It's a lot right. of like, sugar. Have you ever looked at the sugar content for Raisin Bran? I mean, the raisins themselves, fine, natural sugar, but then they dump a truckload of sugar on top of that. True. Like that is that was my favorite. I used to have that one all the I time. I know, right? It's <laughs> and so it's, good. Two it's scoops, positioned man. as a healthy cereal. You're like, it has raisins in it, Brand. and it's brown, right? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Giddy up. Yeah. No. 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 There's. I think there's a lot of foods that are marketed as healthy that certainly um, are anything but. So let's get back to to your story here. Uh, so vegetarian and vegan and then raw. So this escalation, how did we get here today? When yeah. did the raw light bulb go off in your head? Yeah, like I said, it was right from the very beginning. So, right. you know, in Dr. Neil Barnard's book, he's focusing, He, I remember the positioning, what he said was fiber. Right. And in that time, I'm learning fiber, water, this stuff flushes the colon, right, which is critical. Um, and that's what a raw food diet allows you to do. Right. You get in all of the nutrients that your body needs. So in the very beginning, it was like digestion because for a time, like when I was younger, I had issues like with constipation and stuff like that. So this, At a young age, already struggling with it. And I lost weight too. So Man. I was like, what's wrong with that? But then I ended up in the doctor. I was like in middle school, like seventh grade or something. And um, they put me on this this orange, nasty, slimy drink I had to drink for it. It was disgusting. Was but it I, like a fiber drink or laxative? I don't know, or? Some kind of Metamucil or something. You, I don't know, something like this. But you ask her what caused the constipation before she even tell you? Because I used to like pizza pocket hey, and taquitos, you know? We used oh, to go girl, to Costco. Oh, we can talk about ta- oh, we can talk taquitos all day. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Right? Yeah. You know, you go to Costco back in the day. I don't know what it's like now, but as a child, they had all these stations with the food. So you yep. go with your family, you know, you just, I just went to every station and picked up all the food. And I love those two things. So my mom, because, you know, she worked crazy hours and, um, you know, I'm coming in from school. It's nice. Even though I had home cooked meals, we always had the stuff in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why eat broccoli if I could have a pizza pie? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I ended up constipated. But anyway... You know, having knowing this, because we were pretty much, we were health conscious, right? But the standard American health conscious. Yeah, I see you the know, quotes there. Right. Health conscious. <laughs> Before we learned of Dr. Neil Barnard. Um, so I kind of had some knowledge and then this was just kind of expanding on it. So, and raw foods just made even more sense, you know? Yeah. Pretty much Dr. Neil Barnard's program is very close to there with the exception you're, you can eat, you know, bread and things like this, which I did not eat. But I noticed that having bread, I gained weight, right? So for me personally, when I have those foods, I retain water. Um, And so I swell up and 
you know, as a young woman, you want to, you know, look good and like be tight and right. You know, that's something that that was always important to me growing up. So, but then eventually, even with my business, it, it was, it was the energy part. So first digestion, healthy, easy weight loss, right? And weight management, but then digestion. When I had my store and I was 100% raw at for a time, I got down to 115, which is still within my healthy weight range and the smallest I had ever been and without trying to be. Why? Because my lifestyle was picking up 40 pound boxes of banana and celery and things like this. So I was active because I had to be for work and eating raw foods, high water, high fiber, high nutrient density. I was satisfied and I was, you know, around amazing people. Like our customers were just amazing. You know, all of like mine, they care about their health, you know, um, so it was a really special time and my body it reflected that. I was just really good. And now at this stage of the game, I'm 36. I say, You don't look 36. For the record, really? <laughs> she does not look 36. No, she don't. Not even she has close problem to all the time. Yes. Yeah. But we were talking about ageism. But yeah, I'm 36. And now the raw food diet is really about cognitive health and well-being. Because mm. another thing I've noticed in my community is um And we don't have to go deep into it, but we were even talking this morning about cognitive reserve, you know, showing up with patience, you know, um, and having resilience has to do with your cognitive health and what impacts your cognitive health. Yes, your lifestyle, but what you're eating is the foundation, right? What you eat affects your gut microbiome, affects your brain, and it affects your cognitive reserve. So even how you're showing up in your family to be a loving person, to hold space for people, to listen instead of talking over people, that all has to do with cognitive reserve. This is is why I eat high raw now. So just to even correct that, like I'm not 100% raw anymore. I'm high raw, which allows me the flexibility. Tonight we have this event. There's going to be cooked food there. I'm going to enjoy that food, right? right it's all right. clean vegan I hope food, so. right? I hope so. Um, and I don't have to be a stickler because I'm high raw. So I have the flexibility to eat certain foods that you would not eat raw necessarily, yeah. right? Um, but I make sure the high raw part is to make sure that I can easily digest that food. That stuff doesn't stick and stay in my colon. It can flush out, you know, and that keeps everything running right. My metabolic health, my cognitive function, all of that. Stick and stay. I haven't heard that term used outside of sports before. That's <laughs> awesome. Welcome. Man. That's a nice little crossover. I, man, I like that. Um, I got to ask you, so how is this transition over to raw? I assume you're high raw as well. No, I'm not. You're, I'm not high raw. You're con- I am raw, raw, but not high. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, how, how was the, the, the transition for the diet for you, because a lot of people, they find it so hard to get over this hurdle. The cravings are so intense for so many people. It was hard for me. And I tell you why it was hard. I end up having indigestion problem. Okay. And uh, what you call acid reflux. Yeah. Come to find out it was caused from dairy products. So even when she asked me about the honey glazed chicken, I think I'd stop eating chicken. (laughs) <laughs> but I gave her the recipe because I used to get terrible heartburn from it. So mm-hmm. I decided, okay, so I'm cutting out chicken, which I was never a meat person. Yeah. So meat wasn't even a part of my diet. Chicken and turkey was. Yeah. And I love ice cream. And if I can give up ice cream, anybody can give up anything they want to get a better health. Because ice cream used to affect me badly. Like I would get up in the middle of the night 
and um, I get burning in my head from it. And I feel like I want have to run around to get rid of it. So that's when I stop. But th- have you given up ice cream all the way or have all you transitioned over to I, I don't ice agree. cream? Mm-hmm. The frozen bananas, you mash oh, I those I my own. There it is. Yes. See, that, I make my own. That's an important thing that yes. I, I wish more people understood. Was no, I like, make my own. You can bring over all of these amazing foods. You're just going to be eating healthier versions of them. Right. I love the creativity behind this diet. I really do. It's got to be a lot of fun for you. And you know what? Fun, interesting fact. So I came from Warsaw here, right? Yep. And so I took lot Polish Airlines. They served me a raw vegan meal on the plane. Shut the front door. I know. I was like, look at lot. You know what I'm saying? What? Yes. I had a raw vegan burger with ketchup, pesto on it, a nice salad um, with a little zucchini, you know, the ones with the little squiggly around it, those little cute little ones. and um. Uh, these little coconut dessert balls. They didn't leave anything. I like, so, and everyone else was getting sandwiches, and I got a raw vegan sandwich because you get to select vegan. And so it's like, oh, vegan, but they went another level. The mere fact that they even thought to include this, I'm like, this is what inclusivity looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. Having the food accessible to people who, because some folks, I'm doing it. Luckily, I never got as bad as my grandma because I caught it early enough to kind of avoid some of these things. But some people are in a really bad space where it's it's life and death for them, you know, yeah. and to have an airline that's offering this as an option, I think is just exceptional. So I'm I'm happy to just mention that for folks, if you ever want to fly somewhere, Poland is the place. <laughs> did, did you see, like, <laughs> I can only imagine the passengers around you are kind of like peeking over like... You know, they didn't even pay me any mind. No. They didn't. I'd have been scoping that out from aisles behind. I'd be like, (laughs) for real? Like, I don't want this sandwich. No, no. Get that out of my face. Yeah, I mean, mine was so good. And they had all this bread, like the basic, the most basic sandwich ever. Oh, no. (laughs) Was it like peanut butter and jelly or something? No, it was probably like some ham. I saw this one woman had a, a ton of mayo on her, so she took one bread off and she just used the other half or whatnot. But uh, mine was delicious. The first time I've ever even had anything close to that Yeah, on an airline. Yeah. That, man, I was not expecting that. That is impressive right now. Yeah. Shout out to them, right? Yeah. That makes me want to go to Poland. And it's a great opportunity for those who are listening because I know there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and healthcare practitioners, you know, this is a great opportunity. Like I said, the built environment, right? Mm-hmm. Being a consultant to airlines because I was very appreciative of that. Yeah. Who else needs stuff like this? You know, you have people, business people traveling, people with health conditions traveling and just positioning yourself, putting yourself in the right situation to bring this to be more accessible, have it everywhere on the airline, in the airport, you know, we need it everywhere. A couple more quick questions here as we kind of wind things down. Um, number one, I want to go back to um, just kind of how the body treats raw foods differently than cooked foods, just in terms of nutrient absorption mm-hmm. and uh, gut health and things like that. If I were to eat raw spinach in a salad, how would the body break that down and absorb it differently than if I were to eat that kalalu that yeah. your mom was talking about earlier? Yeah. So, One of the things, and I could actually point you to a lot of great resources, books to read. You could check out rawfoodmealplanner.com, obviously, for information. But one of the things that is beneficial to me that I love about raw foods is if I were to take a pound of spinach and eat that, 
the the mere fact of chewing and the time it's taking me to eat and the bulk it has, right? So it's stretching out my stomach. You have those stretch receptors. I'm getting full off of this very low-calorie, nutrient-dense food. As opposed to cooking it, it basically gets down to nothing, <laughs> right? That whole one pound comes down to absolutely nothing. You eat that, you're not going to feel full, right? Mm. And you're not going to feel the vibrancy. Literally, like, I'm pretty sure folks can relate if you've ever had a green juice or a salad. It's like your cells come online, you know? Yeah. You just feel energy, right? Because everything is energy, right? These raw foods have enzymes, those nutrients that, that you know, when you start to cook. So raw foods are basically foods that haven't been heated beyond 119 degrees. Once you heat the food, Chemically, it changes, right? Which is why you have the volume now changing. Sometimes the look, exact, like if you were to compare raw spinach to cooked spinach, clearly, physically, it's changing. It's looking different. It tastes different. It's becoming something different, right? Um, and so how it affects your body is, is tremendous. Like I said, metabolic health, those enzymes, nutrients that ends up getting um, killed in the cooking process. You don't have, plus with raw foods, you tend to have less oils and things of that nature, right? So some of the things that become problems in terms of, you know, um, creating inflammation in the body and um, putting on pounds very quickly and easily, you don't really have the opportunity for that with raw foods because you're, it's, Fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and spices, Mm -hmm. you know. You may use oils in certain dishes, like for like a salad dressing and things of that nature, but it's so minimal. And I also follow an 80-10-10 lifestyle. So it's 80% carbs, 10% fat, 10% protein. And that's just because for me personally, I feel better when I keep my fats low. Um, But yeah, that's what, and that's the benefit of coaching too. You know, we go through all these different options within the plant-based world, there's a lot of different ways to eat. Oh, yes, ma'am. You know, so finding the right way that fits your body and also your lifestyle is very important, right? Um, Because there was a time when I like upped my protein a little bit or was trying to for some like bodybuilding and things like this, um, which is important for that. But if that's not your goal, like my mom, that's not her goal. Right? You're not going to be a bodybuilder? <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't really need to. But for, for us, our conversations are a little different. I'm appealing to her at her age right now. It's like yeah. you want to be strong to have independence as you age, right? Sarcopenia is a real thing. And um, so making sure that she's getting sufficient amounts of protein is important. And it's nothing like how we talk about how folks are so concerned. All of a sudden, when you go vegan, they're like, where do you get your protein? It's like, yeah. all of a sudden, you're a nutritionist now that yeah. I'm eating healthy, right? But before you didn't care. Um, but it's just being a little bit more mindful because I know in my past, I I swung the the opposite direction where it's like, oh, I don't need to care about protein, right? And You don't really, but if we're concerned about muscle development, um, you do want to be mindful just to make sure that you're getting enough. Of course, of course. Um, And last question is, I know with this show, even though we've had 15 million downloads and 100 million streams on YouTube, um, I still am very much talking to an audience of one with every episode, and that is the old version of me. 
And I'm wondering if you have kind of the same type of experience when you are working with your clients and you're kind of going back into your personal archives and maybe thinking about your grandma every time you're, you know, coaching somebody with your health practice there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about actually my family members who are still here. Yeah. You know, she lives on in all of us. And this is why I said, like, I feel a sense of urgency because I'm seeing it right now as we sit here. Our family members are engaging with the medical system and dealing with very serious issues that I know raw foods can reverse and heal. But Mm. it's like um, certain people have more clout and more influence uh, for my family members and for folks in my community. And that is the medical system. You know, I can say a lot and I can share a lot, you know, but if the doctor is actually saying something the opposite, you know, I've had my brother said to me, why would I tell why would I tell the doctor um, different? How am I going to tell him different? He's the doctor. And I understand that perspective, right? Yeah. They don't feel like they're in a position to even question the doctor. Right. And this is why it's so important for us to just spread the message. And even th- those people that are working in the infrastructure of the medical system, they need the knowledge as well. So it, it will trickle down to everyone because people are out here dying, my family included. You have raised an extraordinary young woman. Thank you. Who does not look 36. I'm humbled by it. Yes. When I say she have a problem with that, she goes through that all the time. Yeah. Because she look like a little schoolgirl, but she don't want to hear that from me. No, I don't. <laughs> Maybe in another 10 years. I, I don't know. You'll appreciate it a little bit more. Um, really quickly, Nourish and Flourish. Talk to us about what you have coming up there. Yes. Uh, nourish and Flourish, like I said, about cognitive reserve and why it's so important for us to just show up as our best fe- selves in our families and in our communities has to do a lot with, you know, caring for our brain, caring for our cognitive health and um, anxiety, depression. I've dealt with this. Raw foods has helped me through. Having a healthy lifestyle has helped me through. That includes proper sleep and all these things. So Nourish and Flourish is a mastermind that I'm starting towards the end of this year after my trip in Poland um, to support social workers and nonprofit leaders because I've been working in the nonprofit space. And I see that we need to be reminded. We're so concerned about our community. There's a lot of work that needs to be done out here. But we need to take care of ourselves in order to give from a full cup like we talk about all the time. And so this mastermind is exactly that. It's not saying that there is a leader who knows everything. It's like we all know a little bit of something. We're going to come together and hold each other accountable to make sure that we are firing on all cylinders for ourselves so that we can actually show up the way we want to in community. Because when we show up in a loving way with patience, kindness, um, with folks, it creates change. People learn from our example, right? It's not enough to eat well, but you also have to treat people well because people mm. don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel, right? right? On. And so that's that's what this mastermind is about. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. So look, we've got a link to everything in the show description and in the episode notes. And um, I have a funny feeling that the exam roomies have not heard the last of you. Um, I will tell you right now, I would love to bring you both back at some point and and continue the conversation. I think that uh, you're... I don't want to say an up-and-comer because you've been doing this for for a long time, but I think the world's going to see a lot more of Samantha Salmon. So it's been a real treat to have you here today. It's been awesome being here. And again, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 
There's a link for you to visit Samantha's website, rawfoodmealplanner.com right now in the episode notes. Really enjoyed getting the opportunity to get to know her mom and herself during that interview. Man, that was a great, great conversation. But I'll tell you what I remember about that day was just how blazing hot the studio was. The technician cut the AC off because he was worried it was going to get picked up by the microphone. But in the middle of summer in New York City, as you might imagine, the temperatures rose quite quickly. But I must say that Samantha and her mom, they took it like a couple of troopers. No problem. And we had this fantastic conversation. And then we all hopped in the car, headed uptown, got ready for the big live and in-person exam room episode that we did just a couple of hours later that evening. As the one with Drs. Rob Osfeld and Neil Barnard and Michelle McMacken, as well as Rick Esselstyn. Sold out crowd that night. That was a lot of fun. And so now we're doing it again. Our next big live event is in Washington, D.C. on November 7th. And this time it is a night honoring the entire Esselstyn family for their immeasurable contributions to make the world a healthier place. You really can't even quantify everything that they have done. But we definitely want to try to say thank you. So that's why Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn and his wife, Anne, and their children, Jane, and of course, Mr. Plantstrong, Rip Esselstyn, will be back with us that night as well as we look back on their lifetime of extraordinary work and then forward to what is on the healthier horizon for us all. So absolutely cannot wait. The National Press Club, November 7th in Washington, D.C. Reserve your seat today, pcrm.org slash events, or click the link in the episode notes. So if you happen to live in Kansas or are driving across country, keep an eye out for a purple billboard that is going to vie for your attention. Might give you pause. We've actually put a couple of billboards up in Kansas, raising awareness about what is known as the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act. And what this is, is legislation that would require schools to offer whole dairy milk to all students. Now, interestingly, this legislation was introduced back in June by a state senator by the name of Roger Marshall, who himself is a physician. And so this one particular billboard, it's a message to him. And it says in big, bold, white letters, doctors should know dairy isn't healthy for kids. And they should. I mean, studies have shown repeatedly that any benefit offered by dairy is offset by the high amounts of saturated fat and that it also poses other significant health risks. Whereas... The beneficial nutrients that can be found in dairy milk can also be found in abundance in healthier sources, including the nutrients that are considered the holy trinity for dairy, talking about calcium, vitamin D, and protein. So you don't need dairy to get those things. But if passed, the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act would only continue to make it even more difficult for kids to get their hands on dairy alternatives in school. Already, and we've talked about this recently on the show, already there are federal barriers that prevent schools and parents from accessing these alternatives, let alone 
providing them. As it stands now, non-dairy milks are only required to be served if a parent submits a note from a physician documenting a disability that restricts their child's diet. And even then, here's the funny part, even then, because lactose intolerance is a genetic trait and not a disability per se, one may argue that's not even enough of a reason to be given almond milk or soy milk or any other alternative. So this billboard directs people to pcrm.org slash healthy students, where they can email members of Congress and encourage them to oppose this legislation and instead pursue ways to make it easier for students to get non-dairy milk at school. It really just does not have to be this difficult. It shouldn't be this difficult. And there's a link to that website in the episode notes below if you would like to lend your support. Again, pcrm.org slash healthy students, or click that link in the episode notes. And one more thought today. Now, it's a question really, and one that you can answer for yourself. Do you really think, do you really think the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act is about health? when it comes at a time when obesity and type 2 diabetes are rising among children? Or could it be something else? Keep this in mind. The Dairy Farmers of America, which is based in Kansas and happens to be Kansas City's largest private company, reported net sales of $24.5 billion in 2022 and that is a nearly 27% increase from just one year earlier. So what do you think? What do you think the campaign is about? Just something to think about. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Samantha Salmon and her mom, Dorel, for being here and sharing such an incredible story with us and helping to raise our health IQs, learn a little bit about what it means to be a raw vegan. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Keep it plant-based.